0: to Mark's gospel, which is in the New Testament. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and it's verse, at uh, chapter 5, which is the big letter, because I find this a little, I found this a bit confusing when I was first looking at my Bible, so I'm just going to put it out there so we all know where we're at. Chapter 5, verses 1 to 20. So this is Mark describing a, yet another incredible event in the life of Jesus, and it's just come off the back of him calming the storm. It's entitled, Jesus Restores a Demon-Possessed Man. Let me just pray. Father God, as we approach your word, Lord, would you guide the words that come out of my mouth? Would you open our hearts to hear it? And would it be your um, truth that comes across this morning? Amen. So it says this, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by legions of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told uh, told them about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region Now, I wonder what's the first thing that comes to your mind after you've read this passage. I wonder what's the first question that you have. Is it the pigs? Why pigs? Why are there pigs in this story? I don't understand. I spent a long time researching it, I can tell you. Demons. It's not something we like to talk about, right? What are these demons? Who are they? How did it happen? Why did this man have them? Do we have them today? Do I have a demon? These are all questions that all go round and round in our head, aren't they? And honestly, I wrestled a lot to try and figure out what is it that we're meant to draw from this passage? What is the thing that God is trying to show us? Because there's quite a lot of detail here. What is it that he wants us to see? And you see, when we stand back and read Mark as a whole, this whole gospel, they call it a headline gospel, this whole book is Mark showing us, here's Jesus, and here's Jesus, and here's Jesus, and here's Jesus. This is what he does, this is what he does. So the point here is not the pigs. The point here is not the demons. The point here is, here's this man who has stood up and calmed a physical storm just by his words, who just after this event, goes on and raises a child from the dead. And in between those two, we see this magnificent display that Jesus not only has power over the wind and the waves, he not only has power over death itself, but he has power over the spiritual world that we live in. He has power over demons. And it's magnificent to see, isn't it? And so our purpose when we come across these passages is not necessarily to pick apart every single element. Although I can tell you there are some great commentaries if you really are interested in the pigs, if you really are interested in all the rest of it, then come and speak to me. I can I can point you in the right direction. It's a tricky passage, isn't it? And we often get distracted when we're reading passages like this. And I, again, I don't know about you, but I find quite a few passages in the Bible can, can be a bit like this, where I'm left thinking, wait, what? I don't understand what's happening. Like, what? There's a lot of stuff in here that I'm just not grasping. Can I encourage you, if you're reading a passage like that and you're thinking, I'm so confused, I don't understand what this is, look like almost zoom out of that picture and look at the bigger picture of what's happening and then often you'll get an idea of what's going on look at what was happening before look at what was happening after and then get a bigger picture perspective we often get caught in the detail there is a lot more detail that can can be added to this story as well because mark is a short sharp account and so let me just give you a little bit more um, detail into there. In Matthew 8:28, it says this man was so violent that no one could pass this way. In Luke 8:27, it says that he hadn't worn clothes or lived in a house for years, and instead lived in the tombs. You see, people um, who were considered to be like this—they weren't fit for society. They were encouraged to just get out of the town, basically, and they all uh, gathered in tombs in the cemetery. And in Luke 8 29, it says that so many times the demon seized him, though he was chained and kept under guard, he had broken the chains and he'd been driven by the demons to solitary places. It's quite hard to put ourselves in this story, isn't it? Not sure many of us can relate to being naked and running around cemeteries. Don't put your hand up for me. Sorry, you don't have to do that. There's a huge risk of total disconnection when we read this, isn't there? There's a huge risk that we can almost just skip by it. But I wonder how many of us have thought we've dealt with our issues only to find that they've come back? How many times have we thought that we'd chained them up and kept ourselves on guard ready for them, but boom, they've broken free and here we are back in that place again? How many times have our troubles driven us to solitary places it says in luke that the demons drove him to solitary places now i believe that's physical because it drove him out of the town, but i believe that's a an emotional and mental thing too how many times do the things that are going on in our lives drive us to a solitary place where we shut down the enemy wants to keep us bound there how many times do we feel seized and bound and taken captive by thoughts behaviors attitudes or situations that are around us out with our control. You see, we want to avoid this talk of demons in this day and age, and no one wants to imagine themselves as demon-possessed. One of the um, commentaries that I was reading put it like this. It said, no one wants to consider that they might be demon-possessed, but many in our society today scream out against God, like this man did. The church, uh, and also Christian values, Why are you interfering? Get out of my life. When people reject Jesus, you see, they are putting themselves on the side of the demons. And that has eternal uh, implications. It's quite a stark reminder, isn't it? It's quite weighty. But it's true. There's such truth in that. You see, if we're not choosing Jesus, if we're not choosing to live the way Jesus wants us to live, then perhaps unintentionally, perhaps without knowing, More often than not without knowing, we are choosing the opposite side. This stuff has eternal implication. The Bible speaks of an end time where Jesus is going to come back, isn't he? And all is going to be well. All death, all pain, all everything is going to disappear because Jesus is going to come back. But each one of us has to give an account to Jesus, don't we? Each one of us has to um, explain why we've chosen the things that we've chosen in life. And so this is a choice that we have to make. Which one are we going to follow? Let's have a look at some of these perspectives that I was speaking about at the start then, and then let's see if we can unpick this a little bit more. What do the demons see? Let's look at their perspective. It says there, straight away, he cries out, the man falls at Jesus' feet, and he cries out, what do you want with us? Jesus, Son of God Most High that is what the demons see they see exactly who jesus is they see that he is a man and they see that he is the son of god most high you see all the way through we've come to chapter five now but all the way through the end question is always who is this man how is he capable of doing these things we've never seen this before and yet here we see the spiritual world We see the very demons, the deepest, darkest things of this world, bowing down to Jesus, falling at his feet and saying, please don't torture me. They bargain with him, don't they? They say, don't cast us out, don't put us too far away. And they kind of almost beg and bargain, put us into the pigs. I find it really interesting that whilst everyone else around them is asking the question, who is this man? They know exactly who he is. They were in control of this guy. They had him bound. They had him removed from society so that he could no longer speak to anyone else. They had him tortured and physically uh, bound in this tomb. They have huge control. And yet, here they are on their knees, bowing down to Jesus, Son of God Most High. And what does Jesus do in that moment? He focuses on the man. He says, come out of him. You see, you could imagine that Jesus could do so many other things. There's so many other things that he could do. He could, I don't know, let's think of some things. Let's spitball for a moment. He could... Try and identify every single one of these demons. And he does ask them, what's their name? And they say legion. And that's a, ref- a reference to the fact that this is in Romans time, Roman times. And in a legion, there were thousands upon thousands of soldiers. And so these demons are saying, there's heaps of us. You can imagine them bragging, there's heaps of us. You can't do anything about it. But really, they're on their knees and they know exactly what Jesus is about to do. This one man who is in utter despair and under the control of these demons. All Jesus does is has to speak and they are gone. They are are cast out into the pigs and the pigs are over the cliff. But you see, how often do we look at a whole host of our own issues and think, oh gosh, we need to figure this out. We need to sort that one And I need to figure out how this happens so that I can sort that. And we try and pick apart every single detail of every single one of our issues, trying desperately to grasp some kind of control, don't we? But actually, what we need is Jesus. We need Jesus to speak into our situation because he's the one that has the power within just a few words to sort out all of our issues. So I believe that when we look at this story, we're not meant to... Think about, gosh, thousands of demons, what are they? What are they called? What are they doing to this man? I think what we're meant to be looking at is Jesus and the power that he has had in this situation. And take from it that when we're looking at our own situations and the many things that are going on in our lives that we feel out of control with, I realize that actually what we need is a face-to-face encounter with the Lord. And so let's see, what did the man see? What did the healed man see? saw the king and he worshiped him. In verse 18, it says, the man pleads with Jesus to go with him. So here we've got a man who's been broken and bound for years, it says, and he is finally free. And what does he want? He wants to stay with Jesus. Again, I can imagine many other things he can be wanting, but what he wants is to go in the boat with Jesus He's bowing down and he knows exactly what's happened, the magnitude of what he's just been freed from and the magnitude of what's just happened. He seeks to stay in that place. I don't know um, if anyone went to the conference this year, hands up if anyone went to our leadership conference, great. Hands up if anyone's been to a conference of Christian nature and had great experiences with God, great. So you've all been in that little bubble moment, Maybe it's just small group. Maybe it's the moments that we've had here where you've come forward and you've felt the presence of the Lord. But when we encounter that, we're hungry for it, aren't we? And we want to stay in that place. When we encounter what true worship looks like, when we encounter that moment where we've got lots of other people in the room, but quite frankly, it feels like it's just us and the Lord because we're connecting with the words that we're singing and our souls are connecting with him. We crave it don't we? When we've had a Sunday where it's been like that, or a moment in our kitchen washing our dishes where it's been like that, that's where we want to stay, isn't it? We want to stay with Jesus. When we've had a moment in perhaps prayer ministry or where a friend's prayed with us and something incredible happens, we suddenly feel much lighter or a truth comes um, through a word from the person praying with us, and it is incredible. And we want to stay in that place. And so I think that every one of us can feel a little bit what that man is feeling. I want to be with you, Jesus. I want to stay there. I want to stay, particularly in a conference setting. We want to stay in that bubble because it's wonderful. Any of our youth that have been to Soul Survivor, I'm sure you agree. You just want to stay in that bubble. But that's not real life, is it? (laughs) We can't do that. We can't stay in the Christian bubble because why? Because Jesus says, go and tell and tell other people this thing that I've just done with you, this connection that I've just had with you, it's not just for you, it's for everyone else too. Wouldn't it be incredible have a look around at some of the empty seats next to you, have a look at the space, at the back of the space, at the front. Wouldn't it be incredible if each one of us were talking after being at church on a Sunday, if we were talking not just about the great coffee or the lovely biscuits Or the wonderful person that greeted you and the great conversation you had about something. Wouldn't it be amazing if every single one of us had the boldness and courage, and I'm speaking this to myself, to be able to just go and say to people, I had the most incredible time on Sunday. God did something incredible. Can I tell you about it? Can you imagine the amount of people that would be driving through Ellen to come to church? All of our churches would be packed because everybody would know, wow, this Jesus does incredible things because here's this person, here's Tammy, who I've been uh, a friend with forever and ever, and she's always had that issue with this one thing, and she's just told me that all that she had to do was tell God about it, and now suddenly her life has changed. Imagine, imagine the impact that it could have if we do that, every one of us. I'm excited for that, super excited for that. John Wimber, the founder of the vineyard, uh, was a jazz musician, addicted to drugs, loved his life. But he met Jesus and he started going along to church and realized that the life he was living was not the life that he was meant to be living. And he heard all these stories, a bit like this, they were going through a gospel and talking about all the incredible things. That Jesus does. And he was sat there on fire. He was like, oh my goodness. Jesus can calm waves. Jesus can heal people. Jesus can raise people from the dead. I want that. And so he goes up to his pastor after a few weeks of being there. And he said, so when do we get to do the stuff? And his pastor said, what? What stuff? The stuff. The stuff that you're telling us about. When do we get to do that? When do we get to see people healed? They saw it. I've read on. I've read on through Acts, and they got to do that. They got to see people healed. They got to see people being raised from the dead. They got to see all these incredible things. When do we get it? And his pastor very unfortunately replied, we don't do that here. That was for them. Well, church, I'm here to tell you that that's not for back then. That's for right now. And if any one of you want more of that, then come to the front at the end, because we're going to pray for that. I fully believe that this Jesus that we see here is the same Jesus that lives in us right now, and the same power that he had back then is the same power that we have in us when we declare him over our lives. And if we believe that, we want to start walking in it. We want to start seeing people healed. We want to start seeing people free. That's why we're making it our highest priority to worship God with all of our hearts right now, and not just sing songs why we're making it our highest priority to provide spaces where all of us can engage with God in that way. That's this space here, space up at the back, wherever we invite you to, that small group, that's pursue. If you're curious at all about what it's like to be in the presence of God, then get yourself along to small group and get yourself along to pursue. I'm desperate for this to gather motion. It'll only take a few of us to start believing that this stuff can happen. So let's uh, not miss out on all of that. And then lastly, what do the crowd see? I think this is the most confusing thing out of all of it for me. It really bemuses me that the crowd have seen this man. And I think there was a couple of men, actually, when you read it in Luke. They've seen these guys and how horrible their lives have become. I don't think these guys were very easy guys to be around. I think it talks about them running around, screaming out, crying out, probably not very nice things, uh, cutting themselves with stones. You can imagine what a horrific life that must be and also how horrific it must be to watch someone go go through life like that. So these guys have seen these men tormented. And then here they come, verse 35 says, they come and they see the man sitting there clothed and in his right mind. So he is completely transformed. And then it says, and they were afraid. And it also says that they asked him to leave. They asked Jesus to leave because they were so scared of what they saw. Let's never be a church that does that. Let's never be a church that is afraid that when Jesus does something incredible, that we don't want it. It'd be an absolute travesty They choose to focus their eyes, and this is where this perspective thing comes in. They choose to focus their eyes on the pigs. So these guys are not Jews. Pigs were considered unclean, uh, and so the Jewish people didn't eat pigs. And so you can imagine that in the Jewish areas, there were no pig farms. So this is out of um, that region. Jesus is going beyond the region where he's been talking to people who already knew about God and he's bringing a different perspective. But he's moved beyond that to the people who don't really know about God. So these guys won't have studied the Bible or the Torah that they called it back then, the Old Testament. They won't have really known all of that stuff. And they will have had a herd of pigs because to them it doesn't matter. Quite frankly, they like their bacon sandwiches. So they've got this herd of pigs and they come, the first thing they think of as far as my bacon roll going to come from now. I mean, what? This guy is stood there like a completely different guy, totally free, speaking in his right mind and clothed. And that yet they don't see that. And they don't see the fact that it was Jesus that did that. They don't listen to any of the stories of, man, you're never going to believe this. Jesus came along and just said to the demon, get out of him. And they all ran into the pigs, and the pigs flew off the, off the cliff. It's incredible. And look at him. Now he's totally free. They're choosing to ignore all of that. And they're looking at the pigs. They're choosing to reject Jesus, to not even believe, to feel confused. And to, conf- to feel afraid and cynical and whatever other word you want to apply there. And focus on the fact that for some of them, their livelihood's just gone over the cliffs. I just find that absolutely unbelievable. I don't understand it. Don't get me wrong, I can understand that they might be a bit afraid. When I first came along to church, one of the first things uh, that I went to was... Um, A weekend that they had at our Guild Park site called Naturally Supernatural, some of you might remember it, it was back in 2009, well I'd only been coming to church for maybe a few months by then, hadn't been brought up a Christian, didn't know any of this stuff, but had definitely met Jesus and wanted it, and so I was hungry, and so every time someone said, if you want prayer for, didn't matter what the rest of the sentence said, I was up there, every week. And so i was hungry and so i went along to this naturally supernatural um weekend and from the word go the worship was like worship i'd never experienced before there was people jumping up and down people moving seats out of the way so that they could dance people on the floor crying because they were in the presence of god honestly it was incredible but then the holy spirit really really showed up because people were hungry for it and that's what he does when you open your heart jesus comes. Some people were making noises that I can honestly say I've never heard before and not really heard since. Some people were moving their bodies in a way that honestly, had I not met Jesus and really, really just knew that God was real at this point, I quite possibly would have thought I'd walked into a cult, genuinely would have thought, these people are
1: weird.
0: There's a guy over there, literally bending double and going, and then there's a woman over here crying hysterically. What has happened to this poor woman? And then there's someone up the back laughing, like really laughing. How rude, how rude. This woman, can you not see this woman crying? You're laughing, I can't believe it. What have I come to? This is ridiculous. And you see, as the time went on, they started to explain that when God comes, he knows exactly what you need. And so for this woman, she needed to be set free from something that was desperately hurting her. For the person who was laughing, maybe they needed an outpouring of joy in their life that they would never have experienced had they not turned up at that moment. And I never asked him, so I'm sorry, I can't tell you what was happening with the man. (laughs) there was healing of some kind going on, but it's what happens in your head when you see this stuff. I was one of those people, and I'm sure you're, you know, you've had moments like that too where you've been in church and you've been thinking, I don't understand what's happening. That person's shaking, like violently shaking, and that, I don't, I don't, I don't, it's a bit, I don't know if I want that, that just seems a little bit, a little bit weird, or oh my goodness, there's a guy and he's crying. And well, I was brought up to believe that guys don't cry and I don't quite know what to do about it because I'm a people pleaser and I really want him to be okay, but you know, we don't pray women with men, and so now I'm just gonna stand here because I don't really know what's happening. Is that what goes on in some of your heads? Because I know it's what went on in my head when I first saw it all. But you see, all of that serves as a distraction. It's a distraction from who Jesus is. Because quite honestly. If we're looking around the room and analyzing, okay, that guy's shaking. I mm, don't think I want that. That's crying. Yeah, I don't think I want that either. That mm, they're laughing. That's just quite frankly a bit rude, so I'm just going to yet yeah, no, I'm just going to stand here and keep singing. You're not connecting with Jesus. Are you in that moment? You're not experiencing the fullness of what he has for you. He has life and life in abundance for you. But yet somehow our brains are wired to analyze every single situation. It's not what he wants for us, church. He wants for us to come here ready to receive him. He probably almost wants us to come with a list of, you know what, Jesus, this Sunday, I want to be free from this thing. I'm ready. Take it. Or, you know what, my back's been really sore this week and I've been really grumpy about it. But you know what, I'm going to ask Jesus to heal me. That's me. Because I haven't honestly. I have been really grumpy, haven't I? My back's been really sore. Have I once said, Jesus, take this away? No, I haven't. And we all have these things, don't we? But I think this story shows us that when we see one thing, and then when we have another thing pointed out to us, it's then our choice. Which one are we going to look at? Some of you looked at those pictures and some of you were like, nope, I only see one thing. I don't see the other thing. And it took someone else to go, do you see it? Do you see the way that line goes? Do you see the way that is? Oh, and then all of a sudden you were like, oh, I see it now. I believe that this is one of those moments in the Bible where it's seeking to show us, forget about all of that stuff. There might be a time where Jesus brings you back to this passage because he really wants you to know about the pics. Bring it on. But I believe that for us as a church right now, this passage is showing us that it just takes a little shift in our perspective and we could be on fire. Are we up for it? Let's stand.